Welcome back to Pride Matters, Salford Pride's official podcast, where we give a voice to communities in Salford and beyond. I'm Ricky Hewitt, Head of People, and today I'll be joined by Sarah McFarrow, a non-binary singer, songwriter and performer who performs as Alabaster Queen and an advocate for well-being. James Fox Neville, who's a queer, trans-masked poet and person-centred counsellor, and Carl Austin Bean, OBE, D.L., who is the first openly gay Lord Mayor of Greater Manchester, a former RF veteran and trustee of the LGBT Foundation, Ruling B, and Fighting with Pride, to name just a few. In this episode, we're chatting all about resilience. Put simply, resilience is the way that we protect ourselves against situations which could otherwise be overwhelming. It's a way of balancing the stressful situations of day-to-day life working towards healthy ways to cope with those situations. Hi, uh, Sally. Thank you for joining us on Pride Matters. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you, Ricky? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Um, so first, um, Sally, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Um, so um, I have a couple of interesting jobs. So I'm a singer-songwriter and I perform as Alabaster Queen. But recently um, I became the lead singer of The Spins, which is an international group. And they're currently based in Italy. So we're doing lots of things at the moment to uh, work together as we can, COVID safe. And then on the other flip side, my daytime job is teaching mindfulness and well-being. Uh, which is really important to me, uh, especially every, with everything what's happening now to help people. So that's 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 what I do, and and I just enjoy life, and you know enjoy meeting new people and being creative. I love performing cabaret, sketch shows, writing comedy, and all that kind of stuff. So. You are performing uh, for uh, our Trans Day Remembrance Vigil, which is called Embrace and Empower. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the performance that you did and sort of what kind of things you do as um, Alabaster? What is your work about? Do you have any like sort of central themes that you like to put into your music? Oh, well, you know, definitely um, for me, it's it's been very playful and audience participation. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's a lot about my upbringing and, you know, the songs that I've written, you know, reflect, you know, you know, my sexuality and it's nice to see artists who are very open when they're performing and on are haven't haven't got this wall anymore where they have to hide who they are and i think there's a real amazing lgbtq plus um performance artists that are really pushing it through uh, a friend of mine jamie he's in the irresistible irresistibles um and he's amazing and um i just love performing music that means something to me so it could be about other people or it could be um, about me but it's very cabaret style as well it's cheeky um I like to engage people um as much as I can and then I'll do some twisted cover songs um so that and I say twisted because it's my interpretation of it rather than copy a song I like to create my own song and then you know get everyone singing along as well so it's it's good to raise positive vibrations. You talked there a little bit about, you know, representing your queerness in your music. Do you think that representing sexual orientation, gender in, in media, particularly in the music industry, is important? 
Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Because it desensitizes people's, you know, because, you know, before, it, you know, you know, we, we only had, um, you know, the, um, we only had one style of heterosexual kind of artist and it didn't reach something for me. It wasn't anything that, you know, I'm, you know, is this what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm older, you know, kissing a boy, you know, and it, it didn't kind of feel like it was meaning anything to me. So I think it's really important that, that people can relate and they can, and, and music is a form of, of creative relationships with people. So it hits emotions. So we need that to teach us about our emotions as well, because, you know, that's not something that we're taught. And I think it's really important. And there's some great artists out there. I, you know, we, we did in London, I worked with a good friend of mine, Kat Allen, and we created Queer and Unsigned, which was mm -hmm. an unsigned platform for unsigned queer artists. Uh, and we took that to Elfest, which is a women's, uh, a lesbian festival of non-binary and trans women. Um, and we took that stage there as well. So it gave an opportunity like me and for other people to perform so yeah definitely think it's I definitely think it's important and it allows people to be their authentic self you obviously perform like i mentioned uh, for for our trans uh, day of remembrance vigil um why do you think it's still important to recognize tidor because they're still being victimized and they're still being you know hurt and some people are being murdered um because all they want to be is who they want to be and it's 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 sad and it, you know it's being brought to the light because it needs to be brought to the light because it needs to be dealt with it needs to be you know put so much in the light that actually there shouldn't be any fear towards people you know the trans community or you know whatever it is that makes people want to hurt someone else um so the more that we're open then we can start bringing education and this is, it's more of it like, a, you know, and it's also important to remember those who have gone and, you know, like that, like, you know, we, we light a light for our rainbow community when we have, um, you know, the, the candlelight vigil, excuse me, vigil, um, dyslexic, my brain works in a funny way. Um, so I think it's really important that it's, that it's there and it's still consistently there. We do it for other things. We do remembrance days for, for other you know, days like obviously at the 11th of you know November, but we also do it for, you know, other people that do, you know, past and gone. So it's, it's, so why shouldn't it not happen? Um, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a sad thing, but it's, it's nice to celebrate their life and hope that their lives have impact for the future generations. You do a lot of work about wellbeing and with your organisation, My Mindset UK. Can you tell me a little bit about why you, why you started that um, project? I started my own holistic journey to of self-healing for lots of different things, physical pain and emotional pain. And then I became a Reiki master um, and I started doing uh, emotional breathing technique, which is tapping. And then I learned yoga and different things to help me. And then I started teaching it and then I started creating workshops, um, you know, working with people. And then I, I really started focusing more nichely within the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community because, um, you know, there was, I didn't, I couldn't see anyone really kind of doing that. That was maybe also from that community. And I know sometimes it's when you want to go somewhere, but you don't want to have to explain who you are, why you're looking like that, or you, know, you don't, you don't want to have that. You want 
just a safe space to go where you don't have to explain anything and why should you anyway but um sometimes you feel that need to and it's definitely important to teach people these very simple techniques and coach them along a period of time so that they can find more happiness within themselves like i do a lot of breathing exercises because you know actually a lot of illnesses are, are due to lack of poor breathing um so starting that and then recreating our own emotional team management within our internal system and so that when we are in a crisis situation our management team which is working with mindfulness internally can go okay usually i might have flipped out or i might have panicked or i might have gone into anxiety or you know and all this fight flight or freeze but actually because i've been practicing mindfulness i'm feeling a lot calmer it's not dealing with the issue, but I realize what control I have of the situation so I can breathe. I can take myself out of the situation when it's safe to do so, but also start looking after their overall well-being so that they're not controlled by fear from other people and other people's opinions and all that kind of stuff. So they can just refocus on themselves, lose the negative internal dialogue that they have or become so more aware of it that they know what to do because we all have this internal dialogue, I'm not good enough, you're stupid. And this, a lot of this kind of comes from, you know, our early years and it's been buried in our unconsciousness. So when maybe, you know, a loving partner might just flick your ear in a loving kind of way, suddenly it might just bring out that maybe the boy over there next door, he used to really be horrible and flick me and I just reacted terribly. And it's not because of what your partner did then. It was just because of this unconsciousness that's made you explode, overwhelmed with uh, anger or upsetness. So by doing mindfulness, your body's going to want to go into a different default setting. I call it being like a mindfulness ninja. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it takes practice, but it's the longevity of it all. And it becomes so powerful that people don't affect you anymore. Um, and then you're working on yourself to grow and develop, which is what we should always be doing. Um, and then that's why I created this little challenge called the 21 Days of Mindfulness and Wellbeing. And the idea is it's a free challenge, but it's 21 days where you focus on one technique every single day to improve your wellness um, overall so that you can find at least one technique that's going to help you because we're not um we're not all the same and not one technique is going to work for us so i'm pretty confident that that you're going to get at least one out of the 21 that's going to work for you and it's nice and i kind of you guide you there's little um meditations along the way and the only cost is your investment um but it's enough hopefully to create new habits because it's just it's just so sad that people don't want to meet new people because they get into the head and they hear these voices and a lot of these voices come from a place called the ego so it's kind of understanding that as well of where where is this in the dialogue isn't that interesting that that voice comes up when i want to start something new or exciting or i want to ask someone out for a date okay let's let's find out why that is and let's see what we can do to overcome that so it's like engaging with yourself like a really good friend self-care as part of a daily routine is so so important especially with um you know being in a pandemic where most people have lost their usual support networks keeping a routine and keeping 
you know mindfulness as a part of that I think is 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 really important yeah and you know and, and, and honestly it's like there's some breathing techniques that I teach and I'll say to people but the you know the army and the navy seals use these techniques and they're not interested in new age spiritual things they just want to know factually does it work or doesn't it work and they can be in high crisis situations now um but you know kind of helping people that you know that that might not think that that stuff works but it's so much easier to get you relaxed very quickly within five minutes than actually to do in hours of meditation which you know is you know people will struggle with that because we're thinking we're consistently thinking and that's what we are thinking substance so you know and don't get me wrong meditation is amazing but we do meditate in all the time. Like right now is a form of meditation because we're, you know, we're being present, we're communicating, we're talking, um, going for a walk, singing, uh, reading a book. It's something that you give your attention to in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And, and whilst you're in the present moment, anxiety, depression, and those things cannot exist because you're present. So you're not worrying about the future and you're not worried about the past. You can only focus on the present which is a gift which is something that i like to you know try and remind people and and ground people with because it's it's crazy it's crazy all the anxiety and it's like it's it's newspaper fear it's radio fear it's all it's just so much negativity is kind of coming in through you know social media feeds and all this kind of stuff and you know could you imagine if we could just stop that and then you could just work on yourself Mm -hmm. And then I always say, is, well, what, what can you do? You can switch off the TV. That's, that's within your circle of influence. You can switch off the news. You can put music on that you enjoy. You can you know, not look at you know, social media feeds and stuff like this. Or just, just do something that's going to make you happy and only have good people on your, you know, your friends list. Where can we find out more about sort of the work that you're doing, both, both as Alabaster, but also about uh, Mindset UK? Where can people find out about what you're doing? So I use Outsalvery for the LGBTQ plus uh, mindfulness and well-being. And that happens every Tuesday at 6.30 to 7.30. It's an hour session and I do like pay what you can. So it could be zero or it could be, you know, whatever, um, because I wouldn't want anyone thinking that money is an issue. And they people can people can come and they can go. It, it's worked out so that people can just relax into it or they can just take whatever they need. But I have a lot, a lot of people that are quite consistent and, you know, come. Sometimes they miss a few weeks, but they come back and that's lovely. But or for my mindset web, uh, website. Um, but Alabaster Queen, social media um, on the website as well. But also the spins as well. So that's a really exciting uh, new project to be their lead singer. So, you know, it's, um, it's very exciting times. It's very slow. <laughs> but it's very exciting time. So, yeah, so www.alabasterqueen.com, www.mymindset.co.uk. And the the workshops are on Outsavvy, but I'm on Facebook. But check out the 21 Days of uh, Mindfulness and Wellbeing Challenge. It's on my website. It's free of charge. Um, it's, It's on the services page. And most of all, best of all, it's free. But I know that there are proven techniques to help you. Um, it's just your investment. So that's that would be definitely my big call. But I love performing. So hopefully I'll be performing soon. I don't know about you, but you might randomly meet people in this community and who randomly end up becoming really good close friends. 
because there is there still is that solidarity within our community who go you're by yourself why don't you come keep yourself company here and i think it's it's important to remember that we are a good community and we do support each other um, but it, it's important that we support each other more and we lose any prejudices that we might have in our community um, and just remember remember we're all human beings at the end of the day I want to create this world where it's where it's kind and compassionate and unconditional love amazing thank you very much uh, Sally for joining us uh, on Pride Matters and I look forward to seeing uh, more of your work soon Hi Jay, thank you for joining us at Pride Matters. First, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do? Yeah, so I do lots of things. I'm a full-time freelancer um, and I my work kind of uh, spans across sort of mental health and counselling and mentoring type work um, and also part-time work as a sort of artist who does illustration and uh, spoken word things and you know writing that kind of stuff so um yeah my kind of experience as a trans masculine person sort of comes into all of those things um i also do some uh, trans awareness training uh with kind of public sector organizations so yeah a bit of a quite a lot going on for me work-wise you use the term trans masculine so i just i'll just ask for anyone mm. that doesn't know Mm. What what is what is a what is trans masculine, and why is that is that different from being a trans man, for example? Obviously, everybody uses those words in their own way. But for me, um, I think I don't wholly and all the time identify as a man. Um, I was assigned female at birth, uh, and the kind of I see the word trans as sort of being. Uh, the trans part of trans masculine is kind of referring to this sort of journey that I've been on uh, of, through gender, I guess, of having been assigned female at birth, socialised female, and then the sort of heading towards masculinity. Um, so I definitely identify on like kind of sort of mask of centre, um, but that is a non-binary masculinity for me uh, that doesn't neatly fit into the sort of... Um, binary man uh, identity so i think for me trans masculine is a sort of uh, a direction if that makes sense of travel through gender it's weird because it's very hard to put into words something that's obviously like that changes day to day for me uh, and that also the sort of man on one side woman on the other side thing doesn't always fit for me uh, there's a sort of what's outside of that binary as well like not on that scale i think one of my favorite little fun things when i say it is that i have lived as a woman as a man and as a non-binary person and between those experiences there's been a sort of meanness um but yeah transmasculine is the enduring term that makes sense for me earlier on in the podcast that we we talked about labels um mm. and you know labels can be very difficult for many people for many reasons ultimately because they're quite restrictive in what they are because it's a word to identify something that in essence is very nuanced for every person, mm. like you say. But labels are, are a really good shorthand way of saying this is how I feel. I think of it as like them as little anchors. So imagine that you're trying to climb a rock face. I think of them as the, the spot that you put your kind of whatever climbing 
gear in you know the the handles that that kind of you get a little bit closer to the peak if you know what i mean there cannot be a word that, that really truly captures the the human experience there are words there are sentences and there are sentences over time and so like yeah it's they're they're little tools they're not the the thing itself if that makes sense can you tell me a little bit more about the sort of spoken work and artistry side of the stuff you do first and um, do you write about your experience with gender with sexual orientation and do you bring sort of your queerness into your art yeah totally like I think um it's it's a new thing for me doing well new as of the last few years uh thinking of myself as a a professional artist um it's something I've always done and it's been part of um kind of expressing and understanding myself actually not just expressing like it's been a tool for navigating that you know similar to language um before I had any of that language art was a was a medium for expressing something that I didn't really know how to make sense of so um so I've always done it um and it's always informed my experiences uh, my own uh, sorry my experiences have always informed my art and um so what I yeah a lot of my spoken word is around sort of um those experiences and queerness inherently being part of it um and I see sort of think it's sort of a constant process of re-splitting the atom so it's like I uh, one of my recent um poems that I've written or pieces of spoken word is around this experience of having been a lesbian and that having been my identity for you know eight years and a sort of the process we go through of sort of disidentification with that we transition and the sort of um shedding of the uncomfortable sides of ourselves but actually like I was a woman and I'm not saying that that was my authentic self but that was how I navigated the world for you know those years and my experiences my interactions were informed by that um it was the best I'd got at the time so I wrote a poem to bring some of that to life because it was um an uns unsayable ununderstandable thing because it's not a narrative that you hear you hear very much a sort of um narratives around trans people being for cis people to understand and to make sense of so a sort of um you know i'm not a woman so don't call me she don't do this um and it's all and it's really you know that isn't quite true i have been a woman um i'm not one but there's this sort of need for absolutes when we're talking about these things so that it can be almost I, guess, I suppose about proving our legitimacy and proving that people should treat us in the way we want to be treated or with the respect that we need but like the the personal experience of that is much more complex so I, I find that's where my poetry goes it goes to the place where I haven't the uncharted territory inside me if you know what I mean and quite often you know my poetry my spoken word is for queer people it's for a queer audience it's for trans people um it's for trans masculine people it's for it's a sort of it, it makes some of our experiences legible and so um yeah i think i quite often people will say like oh my god i feel so seen by that sort of thing and and that's it can 
when I have uh, finished a, a piece of work, um, it's I feel cleansed. You know, it's sort of it is a becoming. Um, it's the next chapter of my self understanding and self awareness, which I think is a journey that again is oversimplified in that sense that you think the kind of narrative is that you transition everything's hunky-dory and you go back to your life and you know everything is well more hunky-dory for sure um but you know you you can't unsee yourself as that with that level of um insight and self-reflection that the the transitioning process uh, opens up you know that doesn't just stop when you feel more comfortable looking in the mirror or you know you get called the right name it's it's an ongoing process well it has been for me anyway why do you think it's important to, to mark an occasion like Trans Day of Remembrance? Uh, well, I guess because it's a sort of painful but necessary reminder that the danger that trans people are in in a transphobic society is real. That, but also that you know, so that you know, we people people kill trans people. Trans people die by suicide, but also there's trans people who've had not tragic lives that have kind of come before and have kind of the sort of, you know, especially in sort of white Western predominant like culture, um, we kind of imagine that sort of trans is this new thing and that gender diversity is this new thing. And that's, purely because we've kind of got a cultural heritage which has erased um, the grey area. It has kind of created uh, an archetype of man and woman um, and the kind of bodies, genitals, experiences, expectations of that, um, that sort of, that sort of archetype and just kind of destroyed everything that fell outside of it historically and destroyed evidence of anything that fell outside of it and drove people who fell outside of it to sort of live deeply marginalized um, lives. So that remembrance is a remembrance, yes, of individuals, but a remembrance of that this is not a new thing. Um, and the sort of, this is not, you know, we talk about Stonewall and we talk about Marsha P. Johnson and those people, those, you know, trans women of color who, but that wasn't the beginning either, you know, there's, there's really, um, even within sort of Britain, uh, Europe uh, and the US, there's, um, I really recommend uh, a book called Butch Heroes by uh, Rhea Bedell that's about like um, kind of people who trans, trans, what we would now refer to as trans people, I suppose, or gender expansive people who've lived uh, and the things, you know, through in Europe, you know, centuries um, and the experiences that they had, this is not new. And then if we go beyond Europe, you know, that sort of um, in different kind of cultures, gender is different. So it's a remembrance of the kind of the whole history of, of gender diversity and gender expression. It's, yeah, I think it's about holding space for for our history that we've had kind of erased. Very recently in the news, um, obviously there has been a lot of issues around uh, the Gender Recognition Act consultation and what the government have decided to do with um, 
putting aside that consultation, to put it politely, um, and, um, you know, the, the Minister for Women and Equalities has um, challenged whether um, trans and non-binary people should be able to use the toilets of their choice. Um, so I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about that, why that is an issue. I mean, this is a huge to topic, obviously. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the the Gender Recognition Act um, consultation started up in 2018 um, to it was about um, looking at, at making the process easier to, like you say, gain uh, a gender recognition certificate, which is a sort of new birth certificate um, with your kind of um, that that kind of updates um, on after you've transitioned um, and um, yeah that process is quite hard at the moment to to navigate it requires getting some signatures from various medical professionals so there's a sort of gatekeeping there it there's a there's a it's 140 pounds so the kind of consultation was around how can we uh, make that process easier so it's mostly an administrative process that obviously that with a sense of affirmation that that can offer people um, but unfortunately um, that was hugely kind of jumped on by people who uh, wanted to sort of stop the progress towards inclusion of trans people. And um, this whole kind of really toxic debate has opened up around, whereby the sort of, you know, I found the period between sort of April and um july august when this was all happening like i'm still not okay about that you know like i'm still it was really really difficult that period awful of sort of this kind of you know felt completely betrayed by the government um and by that whole process of sort of asking for our opinions and asking for consultation and a resource from charities um, from organizations from individuals that went into answering that um, and then the fact that that actually was used as an opportunity to be regressive um, and to sort of start to debate things that I thought we were well beyond like you know there's no law in the UK that states who can have a wee wear like why are we talking about this I thought these things were a given so it was a sort of really uh, sort of sickening sort of you know scary reminder um of just how fragile um trans rights are in the uk and how in the wrong hands um that sort of conversation can be co-opted and to become quite a regressive thing so um yeah sort of having a sort of um segregation discussed basically on the basis of where can trans people go um which which rooms are they allowed in you know and i mean the, how you would police that i don't know um but then also it has implications for so there was trans children are often, often like a sort of uh moral panic they used as a moral sort of to kind of incite people and like there's a lot of myths around what trans uh, healthcare for trans children is and so it opens up debates about um you know gillick competence which is a sort of concept about whether a child can uh, whether any child can make health decisions for themselves um 
And so if you're saying, a, you know, a trans child can't make that decision for themselves, then what, that's pure transphobia if Gaelic competence exists across the sort of, across healthcare for children generally. So, yeah, it was hard, that period. It still is. It's, um, you know, it's really difficult to sort of the real rude awakening for me um, as to exactly where we were up to. I don't know, like... I might have been a little naive, possibly thinking um, in 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 how harsh that reality was. So it just shows the way that it was, yeah, weaponized against the trans community, which just like I I feel like really really betrayed and sort of a really gross reminder that like this country is not for people like me. No, yeah. you know, it's not set up for people like me, um, and so. Yeah, and this government isn't for people like me. That was the that was the horrible kind feeling, of yeah. feeling that I had. Which you know, again, the fact that it's taken me this many years to sort of have those sort of feelings is a sign of my otherwise privileged existence. About seventeen percent of young people in general have, have been bullied um, in the past year, and um, like I say, that number is much higher in the trans and non-binary community. So, mm. what role do you think? Um, well-being and mental health can have in supporting trans and non-binary people in particular but also um, generally why do you think it's important? I think it's like essential you know the experience of being of ex of kind of being I'll, I'll say marginalized absolutely but it's kind of more than that it's a sort of um it's a sort of, well, it's discriminated against as well. And sort of, um, I always say that like trans people's gender, my gender is no more complicated than anybody else's. But what is complicated is the way that the world makes us navigate that. And what's complicated and the complications arise because of the constant shutting down of kind of access to make sense of that or to kind of get support with, like the kind of uh, physical stuff if you need it so you know my gender is not complex any more than anybody else's it's just that there's assumptions made about how my body and my soul or mind uh, or you know emotions should align um and it is my body is non-normative in that way or the alignment between my body and my soul and my person so my yeah the the complexities that arise out of that constant um, sort of incremental feeling that the, you're doing this wrong you're a person in a in a wrong way um, or you're expressing yourself in in a way that's raising uh, sort of it draws attention people are unsure about it people have got questions about it people don't know how to make sense of that uh you know it, it drips it drip 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 drips into you in a sort of where you kind of you know a lot of trans and gender non-conforming people you know will experience low self-esteem as a result of that will experience like um feelings of depression anxiety social anxiety and that's as a result of being treated like you're unusual or that you're not normal or you're yeah so so those issues restoring 
self-confidence, restoring self-esteem, um, remembering that your gender is in and of itself legitimate and that there's no way to do a gendered experience that is inherently right. Um, so just putting some of that, putting yourself back together, basically, after the world's kind of pulled you apart. Um, that's how counselling uh, and support services can be helpful. Having that space where um, the rules don't apply. So the type of counselling that I've been trained in is um, person-centred counselling. So the sort of uh, ethos of that is that, you know, the council is there to support the kind of organic existence of that person and whatever comes up for them and sort of um it's based on this belief that you know given the right conditions um the human naturally flourishes in the same way that you know a flower does um and so those conditions are you know empathy um being somebody being authentic with you and um somebody kind of respecting you loving you no matter what sort of thing um so the council seeks to provide those conditions there are no conditions on that those those things so it can be a space where outside of gender you know if the council is appropriately trained and appropriately aware and sensitive to these things it can be a space where there is no assumption about how a body should be or look or move or and there is no way in which your gendered experiences of life should align um and there's a space for play and for creativity and for experimentation around that and there's not a right answer um that sort of counseling also believes that each person is the expert on themselves um and that can be a transformative space for a trans person um and you know any any person who's experienced um like structural oppression i guess because as long as the the counselor isn't replicating the uh, the structural oppression within that counseling room if they truly are remaining person centered then it can be a space outside of of that in which you as an organic natural unique um phenomenon um multifaceted whole person are given the space to grow and that's a rarity for any human being in the kind of society that we live in uh, but particularly you know when it comes to gender um pe people who are gender non-conforming or who have gender expansive experiences like yeah there isn't many spaces that can offer you that sort of level of of affirmation and sort of the space to just be you know how do we improve access uh, for the trans and non-binary community in accessing those services i think that um generally mental health support is underfunded and under accessible um i think where we would improve um specifically uh trans people's ability to access services would be um by making them more visibly trans inclusive you know i know i've spoken to a lot of trans people who are worried that their counselor won't get it or even worse whose counselor has said something that's like a repetition of the problematic stuff they have to deal with outside the counseling room so it's about having uh counselors who are adequately trained and confident um or you know 
training more trans counsellors. Um, having working with somebody who has lived experience of these things, um, and so making the field a place that is uh, that feels safe to trans people. Um, I think you know ultimately it comes down to funding services, you know, um, and moving away from a sort of a pathologizing model of mental health where we think of mental health as something that's wrong with you um, and a more kind of moving towards a more trauma-informed um, model of mental health and that's community-led and that's informed by sort of um, relationships and it's informed by the kind of needs and the skills of the community. Um, so yeah, not obviously this is a big answer. You know, these are big systemic changes that we'd need to mm -hmm. see. Um, but ultimately, I think that's whilst we whilst we continue with the model that we've got, whereby we think of mental health as something that's wrong with an individual, and that this intervention will fix them, um, and that they need to go on this waiting list to go through this particular door that this doctor is stunned in front of to get it and then you can sit on another way and you know that doesn't work and if that's the way we do it that um then the sort of the kind of systemic inequalities are all are going to be part are parts of what has built the system that that sits in so um it will be a case by case improving access if we don't fundamentally look differently at uh, at how how mental health is understood, I think, um, and how trans people are understood and how gender is understood. What can individuals do to support people like yourself? Okay, so they can go and read stuff. There's lots and lots of, um, you know, there's organisations that uh, want to inform people about uh, trans experience, um, sort of, you can go to Ended Intelligence, Stonewall, LGBT Foundation, uh, there's loads of books you can read, there's podcasts, there's websites, there's uh, journals, whatever you're into. There's even like, you know, Netflix document, like uh, Disclosure is really good, uh, Netflix documentaries, little documentaries. So be informed. Um, you know, be informed by trans people. You know, look at your sources. If you are learning about trans people, be aware that, you know, it's it's coming from somebody who's got that knowledge but also there's little things like um you know you can display your allyship with like displaying uh, the trans flag or the rainbow or the progress flag um but i think my favorite thing uh, to ask an ally to do is consider their own gender you know trans people aren't the only people with genders like we've all got a gender and we've all got a sexuality and we've all got a body um, and they're all different to each other. Yes, we kind of, for the sake of understanding it and this because of the language we've inherited and the idea of binary thinking, we think of trans and cis as two separate things. But like I say, my gender's not that complex. You know, there are parts of my uh, masculinity that are extremely normative. You know, I love football. I really like beer. Um, you know, those, those are fairly normative associations in this culture with masculinity. Um, it's not always any more complicated for me than it is for, for anybody else. And the best thing an ally can do 
for me is recognize that they're as complex as I am. They're as gendered as I am. Um, and they're as um, complicated and like as um, inconsistent as I am, that there are moments in their gender that fall outside of societal expectations as well and, and parts of their desire. Um, so yeah, take a hard look at yourself. Allies would be the best thing I can say because it's it's complex for us all. And and I think cis people have a lot to learn about gender from the authenticity of trans people uh, mm -hmm. in their personal explorations in that way. Is there anything that you would like to say to the to listeners, to the watchers at home, um, that is particularly poignant to you? Anything that you'd like to say? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I mean, I, I have said quite a few things um, and I stand by them all. But um, yeah, just that, you know, remembering that being trans is beautiful. It's it offers the world so much. Um, we we live in a really like kind of oversimplifying monocultural sort of uh that's our in is a as a white person as a kind of person who's grown up in Britain with a kind of Eurocentric view on things. Our history is super boring and oppressive. So like we are just one group of people who can offer an antidote to that and offer something authentic. Um and that you know the beautiful space inside you is where that's where I am. Um and like this journey's been one that I wouldn't change for the entire world. So uh, just offering that hope um, and that sort of affirmation to other trans people that there's nothing wrong with us. We're not any more complicated or weird than anybody else. And that actually we're a beautiful recognition of what it is to be human. Um, and I think I agree. You have said some amazing things. So thank you very much. Um, before you go, um, where can people find about find out about the work that you're doing, see what you're up to and keep up to date with your work. So um, you can check out my website, um, which is uh, jamesfoxcreative.co.uk um, or you can um, follow me or chat with me on Instagram. Um, so my handle is at mxjamesonfox. Uh, thank you very much for your time and coming on uh, and sharing your story, your experience and um, some of the great work that you do both as an artist, as a spoken word poet, but also as a, a, a mental health, as a practitioner of, of well-being and um, in healthcare, because I think having voices in that, that, that space is so, so important. So, thank you uh, hi, Carl. Thank you for joining us on Pride Matters. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Not too bad, even under lockdown two. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I think that's uh, a common theme that we've felt. Um, Carl, can, just for everyone that's listening at home, can you tell us who you are? My name is Carl Austin Bean, and I'm the LGBTQ plus advisor to the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham. And thank you for giving us your time, Carl. I know you're a very busy person with uh, lots of uh, different projects. I actually found out recently that you were involved in Contact Manchester. I didn't know you were, I didn't know you had a, a role in with Contact. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, see, I find the title a bit odd, but I'm president of Contact. Um, because I find the word president a bit weird, especially when I look at what's been going on overseas. <laughs> um, uh, but no, it was the young people that decided that. And, you know, I'm really passionate about contact because it was when I was younger, um, it was actually built in 1972. So the same year that I was born. And I remember going there when I was doing a play when I was at Abram Moss um, about a girl called Verity. 
And I remember the play very vividly. It was about a sort of halfway house and it was about someone um, sort of trying to take their own lives and, and everything like that. And it, it, I just found it really sort of strange that we were, at a young age we were doing this. But it made me realise the fact that contact is, has and always will be one of those uh, theatres that, that challenges um, the way that we think and, the, and things. I just think I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about the work that young people do. And also with contact now, they've got a new chair who is uh, a young person as well. So they're having it that at least 50% of the board uh, are young people, because obviously we all know that they're the ones that want to make the decisions and they're the ones that are going to lead the way in the future. As an ally for the trans and non-binary community, why do you think it's important for us to recognise uh, trans gays remembrance? Well, I think, you know, this year, if we look across the world, there was over 350 names that have been sort of read out and added to the tree of remembrance that we've got in Sackville Gardens. Um, I think it is important to, to, for remembrance, the same way that we remember people who've, who've been injured or died in conflict, the fact that, you know, these people are just trying to live their lives. Um, you know, none of us chose how we were born or chose the way, we, you know, of our upbringing and you know, keep, but why can't people just be allowed to be themselves? You know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. It shouldn't matter about... Uh, what our sexuality, what our gender um, is. It's about just being treated with respect as a human being. And I don't understand why people have an issue with that. And I don't understand why um, society makes it so hard for, for our trans siblings. Um, you know, we, we, this year has been really rubbish for them. Um, not, only with, not only with the pandemic, because um, it has been tough uh, especially those that have had to spend a great deal of time being isolated. You know, they've not had the ability to express themselves. They've not had the ability to, to be their true authentic self, being trapped in, in a house or in, in, a, in a home that, that they, they may not be able to be, uh, be themselves, which obviously is going to bring on stress, anxiety, depression. Um, and this year i think is going to be has been tougher for them individually because they've not been able to be themselves and the, 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 they could have felt that they've lost some of their self-identity this year we, we've, we've learned a lot of things about ourselves when we're sort of sat in front of a computer screen and we're you know we're seeing other people we're seeing what the people how the people live what they're doing um and everyone sort of comes onto the camera and goes hey how are you and most times nine out of ten everyone will go i'm fine but actually take a, take a step back and just let them actually answer it. So, you know, um, actually ask them and, well, no, I'm feeling pretty rubbish, really. You know, I'm struggling sleeping. I'm struggling with, um, you know, when I'm going to bed, I'm, I'm going to bed at 11 o'clock, tired, but then waking up at half two in the morning and then wake up sweating with anxiety because I'm worried about the fact that I'm not able to be myself. One of the themes that we're talking about on this podcast is, is well-being. And I know, particularly, Carl, you work with a number of, uh, organizations that is about promoting well-being certainly in um, the veterans community um, and you also have another organization about keeping physically active uh, the running bee and fighting with pride yeah um i'm chair of the of the running bee foundation um, the re that that came about because we looked at uh, the health and well-being initially it was to do with young young people and to look at child obesity and it was about the fact of, okay, if we can put these races on and we can put these activities on, um, the, all the profits um, that, that are raised in that area 
So let's say, for example, it's in Tameside. So all the money that, that's raised, all the profit that's raised from that event will go back to Tameside. Um, any event that takes place in Salford, um, the profits will go back to the residents of Salford. And it was, it was about the fact of people who just need that little bit of encouragement and a little bit of support. You know, for some people who, who want to go running, but they've not got the money to be able to buy a pair of trainers, you know, 50 quid will make a massive difference to those people. So sometimes, you know, those big grants that people struggle to fill in for, you know, just a one pager of a grant application and explaining the fact that, you know, you've not got the money for that. So, so let's support them. And, and, and the basics of mental health and well-being is activity. Um, you know, we're in this this bizarre lockdown now, which doesn't make any sense because people are still going around uh, their day to day business. Um, I felt a lot more safe and secure in lockdown one um, than I do this time. Uh, but this time, because of the, the dark nights, the, the, the dark mornings, the, the weather we've got, um, you know, going out to do a run isn't as easy for people. Going out on the bike isn't as easy for people, but we've got to do it because I think that's going to be a massive impact on people's mental health and well-being as well. And with the, within the Running Bee Foundation, one thing that I wanted to be really clear about was when someone, let's say, for example, you've got, you've got um, mums or dads at home who 15 years ago fell pregnant at the age of 15, 16, and they've not had the opportunity to do exercise or not had the opportunity to get out there. You know, let's give them that chance now um, and, and putting it, you know, supporting them because it's not just about childhood obesity, it's about physical and mental health well-being. Um, and there's a lot, there is support out there, but I think we need to be really careful. I think that, I think the period that we're in this year is going to have a massive impact in, in years to come. One of the campaigns um, that's quite prevalent every year is, is Movember, the men's health uh, campaign. And we know, you know, you say um, men tend to end their own lives, unfortunately, a lot earlier than um, women, um, they tend to take them more often um, and tend to suffer with mental health on their own in isolation. It's the biggest killer of men under 49 is suicide. Um, and and that's another thing we need to do. We need to start breaking down the stigma of the word suicide and asking people, have they had suicidal thoughts um, when we know that people are struggling? You know, these people living in, in houses, these, these people who haven't been out for months, these people who literally... Uh, were furloughed on the 23rd of March earlier this year. They've not gone back to work because they're still furloughed. They've not, you know, they might have seen a handful of people. They may have seen a few people just on Zoom, you know, and and take and taken part of the initial, you know, the Zoom bingo, the Zoom quizzes. There's only so much Zoom bingo and quizzes you can do, and I think we we sort of saturated them in the first few months. Um, there's a lot of people who were never ever going to see. Um, people who they worked with before. I used to go to the, you know, with, with the gym, you'd have that six o'clock in the morning, you'd have the same cohort of people, you'd meet the same people. I might not see some of those people ever again. Um, the same way that when we used to go out and you go into clubbing or go to the bars and they'd be your Friday night friends or your Saturday night friends. You didn't know much more else about them other than being there at that particular time. So um, it, it's going to have a massive effect. And I think let, let's, let's let people speak and let people uh, say that they're not okay. Can you tell me a little bit about Greater Manchester's very own Sexual Health Awareness Week? For the first time, it's the Greater Manchester Initiative. Um, 
uh, of the HIV testing week. And, and what's happened is, is normally, nationally, we have HIV testing week. Uh, normally, it's normally sort of either the week or two weeks before uh, World AIDS Day, which is the 1st of December. Um, and because of everything that's going on COVID-wise, uh, nationally decided to pull it, and I think they've moved it to February. Uh, but because of the amount of work that Greater Manchester Health and Social Care, uh, the PASH partnership, which is passionate about sexual health across Greater Manchester, uh, George House Trust and uh, the LGBT Foundation and VHA, they decided oh, we put all these resources into it. Let's just roll it out anyway. So the, the way they've done it this year is encouraging people to order a, uh, a home testing kit and doing it so that they can have the kit get themselves tested and then find out the result in two weeks time uh, where can people get access to hiv tests normally they'd probably go through the public health england website where is that available now yeah if, in fact if people want to go on my social media which is twitter and it's just carlos Dibian, there's plenty of uh, links on there um where where you can get the kit from but if you go to sorthiv.org.uk that's sorthiv org.uk um, you can order a home test kit and it'll get sent to you from that website but as I say if it's easy for people just at Carlos Nimbian just scroll into in fact it's one of my pinned posts with the information on there because I'm, I'm passionate to sort of help sort out uh, HIV and to sort of you know prevent and, and let's let's again break down the stigma of HIV as while we're breaking down um, you know to, to make sure people feel that, that they get in the support that they need Stigma is unfortunately one of the biggest barriers to people accessing services like mental health support, like HIV testing, um, and even just the stigma around HIV in, in general. I also think it's personal stigma to people. I think even people don't want to talk about it themselves because they, they, they're still, some people are still at a certain age where, they, they, you know, they, they feel that they've either let people down. And, and it's not about that. It's about the fact that, you know, we can only support people, we can only help people if people talk about it. And... You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of support out there now, uh, and it's certainly you know in the the forty odd years that I've been around knowing about HIV, you know, it's completely changed. You know, you don't it, it doesn't have to be uh, anything uh, threatening anymore, but you've still got to take your control, and you've still got to make sure again, health and well-being is key to to a healthy lifestyle. Whether you you know with, with HIV, one of the things you touched on was. The, the role of stigma and bullying for these communities. We know 17% of young people are unfortunately are, have been bullied in the past year. Um, and that's even more prevalent when you look at minority communities. Um, so how can we challenge and prevent bullying? Um, I think, you know, that, that sort of, again, comes into the whole, uh, for bullying and comes into the whole hate sort of crime awareness as in the fact of, you know, not we shouldn't be able, people shouldn't tolerate and people shouldn't um just accept that, that these things happen and it's only again through education and through schools and through colleges and and, and letting people know that, that they can speak up about these things we need to again it's about education isn't it it's about education when it comes to um people understanding what what, what people can say and what they can't say uh, I, I would have thought you know we've, we've seen this week comments that were made by uh, the FA, uh, the, the, the CEO of the FA, that, that were um, racist comments. And I'm sure there was lots of other comments there by, by a senior CEO. And 
it makes you question if that's a, if they they were his views and they're his comments. What about the rest of the board? Um, you know, for, for for it to sort of be in that situation. So I think um, education is key, but also uh, calling people out and, and and challenging when people don't feel that it's appropriate. Is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners at home about any of the topics we talked about? Yeah, I, I, I suppose I just want to pick up on on the fact of, of just reminding people that you know this year has been rubbish for everybody, um, and we we have had a, it has been a strange situation. Um, lockdown one was completely different to, to this one, whereas I think in the first lockdown we all understood what what we needed to do. Um, we all we, we were all in the set, we were all in it together. Um, I think this 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 one where it's been where everyone seems to be being played off against each other um, with different sectors and the fact that well you can go to work and you know you might be a certain shop and you can't do it, but but we need to sort of people themselves need to just. They need to feel safe and comfortable in themselves. And I think as a community, we need to be there to support each other. Um, you know, there's, there's the LGBT Foundation, there's the Proud, uh, Proud Trust, there's Albert Kennedy Trust. There's, there's plenty of organisations out there uh, to support people. Uh, and don't be afraid and don't, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to ask for help and support. And I think, you know, right now we're seeing, you know, with, with social media, People can put a message on there and can ask for support. And and like I said at the beginning, you know, when you ask someone, are they okay? It's okay not to be okay. And just just bear that in mind. And there are people there to support you and there are people there that, that can help you. Um, and obviously this year, we've, we've not had any Pride events, live Pride events that take place. Um, and I just, and that's the one place for a lot of people where they feel comfortable. It's the one time, it's that one weekend or that one day when they feel that they're a part of a community, it doesn't matter what race, what creed, what colour, what gender, what sexuality, it's about respect and it's about just being your true, authentic self and never, ever, ever let anyone stop you from being your true, authentic self. Where can we find out about you and some of the work, the amazing work you're doing in the community? You can look at um, all my social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's all at Carl Austin Bean, uh, all one word, uh, you can easily find me. And if anyone, I, I send out weekly newsletters uh, about things that are happening um, across Greater Manchester and a little bit further when, when I get some information. If anyone has anything they want me to promote or to push, uh, they can send it to me, uh, again, via the social media channel, or if they just want to sign up to it and find out more information, I'm more than happy to, to add people's email addresses to that list. So that's just at Carl Austin Bean. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll be in touch soon. Cheers, Ricky. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pride Matters. If you'd like to be involved in the next episode, just use the hashtag Pride Matters Podcast with their topic or question you'd like us to discuss. Unfortunately, though, that's all we have time for for this episode, but we release an episode every month, so be sure to tune in on your favourite podcast platform or subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can keep up to date with our work in the fight for equality. Thank you.